there's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. So James Trafford, no goals conceded. Match winning penalty save in the final. Yes, please. Someone like Levi Colwell, you're always trying things. If Chelsea were to le- let Levi Colwell go, we will be paying for it for years to come. Vibes FC, right? Imagine Eze, and I know I'd bring everything back to Eze, but Eze <laughs> likes to drift over to that left-hand yeah. side. Yeah. Smith Rowe wants to come into that 10 yeah, position. Yeah. Let them all wiggle about and have some fun. Is there something specific within them, whether it's the, the mentality or the skill set, which sees them become a professional? Killer instincts. Killer instincts. They will kill if they need to kill. The upside for Mikhail Mudrik is very, very high. But if Pochettino can get it right with Mudrik, I think we've got a serious player on our hands who can go and achieve who knows what he could go and achieve because he's got the raw ability. I like the look. I like. I, the I look. do like it. I like the look. Yeah. He looks unique. He's got yeah. a very unique look. I like Hang it. Hang on a minute. Greg has got the Mudrik header. <laughs> Go behind the fourth wall here. I'm going to do a song, which I did a minute ago, but you know we weren't recording at the moment in time. So just, you know, if you know the words, get involved. <laughs> right, ready, guys? It's meandering home. It's meandering home. No? Okay. Well, it really was. It was so much better the first time around. Welcome back to The Ripple Effect with me, James Lawrence Alcott. You've got the under-17s, you've got the under-20s, and now England's men's under-21s have won a major tournament and therefore we are meandering towards England's men's team finally winning something in our bloody lifetime. Well, that's what we're hoping for. In this podcast, we're going to have a look at how they did it and actually the ripple effects that led to several triumphs for England recently and a whole new world of English performance in major tournaments. I've got some... Fantastic guest with me today. But winning an international tournament at the beginning of your career is a landmark moment for players, managers and all involved. But for players as opposed to managers, it's not always a good thing. When a manager wins a tournament, it often permanently increases their stock and the prospect of a good career. But for a player, it may be the peak of their career itself. But will it be different for England's under-21 side? And why does this all feel that little bit more different? And actually, dare I say it, we are expectant. There are a multitude of reasons as to how this tournament win could alter the landscape of youth and senior football in England for decades to come. In this week's Ripple Effect, we dive deep into all the possible outcomes for the historic triumph. I have uh, three great guests this week. Uh, Kweku has stepped into the breach. 
once again after being lambasted on Twitter <laughs> last week. Well done, Quacky. Uh, thank you for joining me again, mate. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, Joe Donahue is from Scouted Football, is also a fantastic journalist as well. And you guys will know, if you know my content, you will know I'm a huge fan of Scouted Football. We've done a collaboration in the past. And actually, some of those players have gone on yeah. to be absolute ballers. <laughs> Nonu, um, Noni Madawaki, Schlotterbeck. Yep. Amo Hodzic. Oh. Yeah, Amo Hodzic. Uh, Anthony, I think we had as well. Anthony we had yeah. in there as well. Yeah. Uh, uh, Florian Wirtz yep. as well. So Joe and uh, his team of people. So even if it's not his intelligence, he's able to piggyback <laughs> on the back of that. And we also have a elite coach for specifically youth players. Um, he's given me a funny look as I said that. But no, I think Harry, well, that's okay. We can get into, introduce you with that. Uh, Harry Brook. Uh, sorry, is it Harry Brook or Harry Brooks? I don't want to get that wrong. Brooks. Brooks, there we go. Harry Brooks uh, is uh, on the line right now. Um, fortunately, Harry wasn't able to uh, join us in person, but we'll get that done down the line uh, because I just desperately wanted to to get at least 10, 15 minutes chatting with you. And guys, if you have questions whilst we're chatting away, please do um, interject and, and get involved because there is so much uh, scouting and judgment on footballers. At several different ages, there'll be players that are washed or not up to it. You know, Anthony Gordon, the player of the tournament, is one of those players that I think myself have said, I'm not sure he's worth that amount of money. And there's a whole concoction of things that can lead you to those opinions, which is fine. But you, Harry, you work with these players uh, at a young age, at such a crucial age for these players as well. So first of all, just to sort of uh, allow people to kind of be introduced to you a little bit more, tell us a little bit about your story and and what you do and how that kind of aligns with what we're going to be talking about today in terms of young players. Yeah, so I work with professional and academy footballers. Um, I do other things in football, but that's the main thing. And it, it tends to be sort of like the ages of they're in academies, but obviously they've still got a lot of work to do. You know, 14, 15, still got a long way to go before you're an established pro. And then being part of their journey to sort of like help them get through all of those hurdles up to, you know, professional football and then, you know, continue working with them throughout their careers is the idea. Um, and it's providing the stuff outside of their clubs that perhaps they don't necessarily get within their club. So, you know, the individual coaching, the individual analysis, mentoring, things like that, because... There's so many things that, you know, football clubs have to do. You know, it's um, in, in the first team, it's obviously match preparation, it's recovery, it's all things like this and many, many more. So perhaps clubs themselves don't always have the the time or the, the power to work with each individual. Um, so the individuals have to find it somewhere. And that's when they will typically go to people like me. A lot of people do what I do um, as well. Um, so that's it in a nutshell, really. I, I do other stuff in football. But that's the main thing that people tend to be interested in, yeah. I think I, I, I'm quite surprised that with the amount of people at football clubs, that I'm not trying to do you out of work here. No, but like, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm surprised. That's, that's kind of surprising to me personally to, for, for, for that need to be there. So just to sort of dive into that element of it, to be a, not just a, a pro, but an elite pro, and you've worked with some players that are, I think, you know, right on the cusp of, of becoming incredibly exciting players. Yeah. What What is that individual, you know, can you give us a bit more like colour on that in terms of what's, what's truly needed to be a pro player now f- between the ages of 18 and onwards? I mean, there's no rules to it, but it's basically what, you, what you'll find is uh, the older you get, it's, and, and the more you push on in the game, 
it's you've got to offer the value to you've got to make yourself as attractive to as as many clubs as possible because if you can only do certain specific things that's fine but then you're making yourself quite a specific kind of player that maybe isn't for every single coach now yes you can be that person and the top of the top so one of the first professional players I ever coached I won't say his name's not fair but he had a lot of weaknesses you know technically and but it didn't matter because there were three things he'd done incredibly well and they worked for the level he was at now each situation is different and it's about not making the player good at everything that's impossible there's no time to do that but it's about okay looking at who you are as a player and how can we give you the extras you know make your eight out of tens nine out of tens and then how can we make your perhaps five out of tens getting them up to seven out of tens that are relevant to you so you know let's say I work with a striker I'm not going to do too much work on how he you know wins headers from a centre-back position obviously so it's all relevant to the person the player and not making them the complete player but making them as well-rounded and as good as they can be for their role and then obviously you know a lot of it is like mentoring a lot of it is you know timing you know the right club at the right time and just helping them guide through that I think a lot of people just look at the coaching aspect and think that's the main thing um you often find it's the mentoring the ongoing mentoring that is um the most important aspect of it you know how they how they respond to things when they go bad how they respond to things when they go good what about if a manager doesn't like me how can I make sure I'm I'm doing the best I can do so that's kind of it in a nutshell and Harry, uh, James touched on the resources available to these these top clubs um, to invest in their in their young players. So, how many players are actively seeking extra help from people like you to further develop their skill set? Uh, any player that's serious, pretty much all of them now. Because one thing that I think is a bit of a shame with social media, I don't really like doing it too often. Um, you see, so many coaches nowadays put their sessions online, but I guess one thing does do it's like. It's kind of that positive affirmation. If you see a teammate's doing that work and you'll be like, oh, well, why am I not doing that work? Do you see what I mean? So it's kind of like that, that snowball effect of that. Um, so most of them are doing extra stuff on the outside now and the clubs know that and they kind of have to accept that. I do think there's a, a disparity in how it's done. I do think it could be much better organised. Um, a lot of it, a lot of the time, it's very much a, with coaches like myself and coaches at football clubs or football clubs in general, it's very much like us and them where it should be working together. But um, I'm sure it will get to that stage in the future um, because it cannot be ignored. Clubs have to accept these players are going to do extras no matter what. Um, mm. But there should be more of a, um, a connection in how that happens. That desire and ambition, is it can only be kind of seen as a good thing, surely. Um because I've heard about, say, like Gundogan, I remember him sort of, you know, coming in and, you know, these guys, especially once they get those, be- you know, bigger and better contracts, they've got a lot of money to spend to to not leave anything to chance. So that feels like, a you know, a, a good ambition to have and a good thing to put in place. You kind of, you lent on it uh, a couple of times. Uh, first of all, talking about social media, but also kind of talking about the mentoring being important. In 2023, what would you say are the sort of biggest pitfalls for a player in that era where I remember Arsene Wenger talking about, you know, it, or it might have been Alex Inglethorpe who's at, at Liverpool saying that, yeah, I think it was actually, you can get a player to 16, but from 16 to, to 18, that's when you really realise if they can kind of make it. And I think, you know, it doesn't stop there these days, actually. But in terms of players coming through, in terms of research for this, I was looking at sort of younger players in the England squad. Now, there are a lot that come through. But I thought someone like Conor Gallagher, I thought, oh, he's really young, right? Well, he's not. He's kind of like 23. But now we're kind of getting to a point where actually 
there are some players that come flying through, but there are also some players that need, a, you know, more education, more games. They need to maybe go to different clubs, go on loan. We've seen that time and time again. But kind of coming to that sort of key area of 16 to, let's say, 20, and if I'm getting these ages wrong, please tell me, Harry. What would you say is that, what's the biggest pitfall in terms of creating a modern footballer these days? Yeah, for me, I think the biggest hurdle to jump is becoming that established professional at any level. So you've seen it, you've seen so many players, they'll get their, their first pro contract. They might even get a taste of it. It might be a five-minute sub-appearance in a game where the teams are winning 4-0. That's a whole other thing to be entrusted to play 20, 30, 50-plus games in the professional career. So the biggest hurdle for me to jump is the one where can I have an established pro career, whatever level that is. It could be League Two, it could be Premier League, it could be wherever. The hurdle after that is how far can that can that career go? So, okay, if I've got the established career, how far can I push myself in said career? Now, of course, for me, there's no rules to it. So you'll always have your Jamie Vardy scenario. Generally speaking, you know, generally speaking, you will kind of know how a player's career should look by the age of like 21, 22. Like, okay, if they're going to have an established pro career, what level might they get up to? Now, of course, players surprise you good and bad all the time. So you can't ever say it's a rule because it's not a rule. Um, but generally speaking, that is what will happen. But the biggest hurdle and the biggest um, pitfall for players is 1,000% mentality and mindset. And it doesn't necessarily have to be that they don't want it. They might want it, but it's about just how you cope with everything, how you cope with the pressures, how you cope when things go bad, how you cope when a manager doesn't like you. you know? we say, I say to players all the time, me and my colleague, we say control the controllables. So you're not in control if every manager likes you. You're not in control of every teammate likes you you're not in control of the crowd likes you but you're in control of how you approach your day-to-day life and your day-to-day work and if you make that the best that you can possibly make that and you're smart with it then that's all you can do and let's see where it takes you but mentality and mindset is definitely the biggest the biggest preventer um that can see players fall fall by the wayside um so harry you mentioned mentality there um, and that's what I was going to ask you. Is there a shared trait, whether it's the intangibles when it comes to mentality or the tangibles when it comes to physicality or skill set that you've seen personally that the top players share? So the players that have made it, is there something specific within them, whether it's the, the mentality or the skill set, which sees them become a professional? Killer instincts. Killer instincts. They will kill if they need to kill. So if I work with a top young talent, Let's say that it's a player that's, you know, doing fantastic stuff, you know, already had Premier League appearances, whatever it might be. And let's say we do a session and let's say I say, okay, like, you know, we've done a bit of work or whatever. And I say, okay, like, end of the session now, whatever it is. Nine times out of ten, the top, top player will say, no, I want to do another or I want to do another round. Or if they end on a bad shot, for example, they'll make sure they finish on a good one, whatever. They want to do that. Whereas, generally speaking, the ones that haven't quite got it, if I say, okay, that will do there, that's the end. They'll just go, okay, that's fine. I'm, I'll, I'll be like, you know, the guinea pig. I'll just do what you say. So that's the biggest thing. It's that killer instinct. It's, it's, and, that happens, and that is quite often the thing of like, what you'll find with like academies, it's not always the most talented players. Of course, you know, there are incredibly talented players in the system. There are incredibly talented players outside the system. And there are also players inside the system that are there more squad fillers, unfortunately, at that time. But they do mostly share a thing in common of like being like, quite robotically killer mindset, which is a good thing and a bad thing. You know, there's not too much in the way of personality with players, how they're being developed nowadays. 
But I would say the biggest thing is that just killer instinct. That's 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 a major separator. Joe, it's it's interesting to hear this, isn't it? Because I think when you when you're sort of uh, scouting for different players, and I think we'll get into this in a bit more detail, but success like success or you know a successful career is just it's not linear and that's actually kind of an ingredient that harry's talking about a lot of the time here is that i think you know in the let's say the 90s you had a squad of 15 16 you know something like that so even if you did have a wobble or you know a bad period of form or whatever it might be or you know you've you've or there's not other options you'll get more opportunity now you can you could be cast aside pretty quickly, and that's that's a problem for for a lot of players, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, when when you look at the the difference in you know the even just the advancements in in sport in nutrition and and sort of the the granular focus, the fact that you know Harry says that pretty much all of the elite players that he coaches or you know the elite players that want to make it are the ones that are are seeking out this addition, additional help. You do have to be single minded because there is there is so there are so many hurdles, there are so many pitfalls that you can end up. You know, falling by the wayside, and and ultimately, only the select few are going to make it. So you do have to set yourself out um, as as you know, you put your essentially put your head above the parapet and make it known that you are, I don't know, you you are going to be this 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 elite level potential player, um, and you're not going to stop at anything to to you know to achieve that. Would would do you say that that's maybe a little bit counterintuitive in terms of the way the academy system sets up though because it's set up as a team and mm. their their goal is to win trophies if it's the FA Youth Cup or whatever but ultimately they know that the, the spaces are limited in the first team so they're competing against each other so there is that single mindedness in terms of going there and trying to make sure that you're professional whilst also trying to contribute to the team do you think those teams are those things are at odds sometimes with each other yeah definitely I think in, in, in a lot of academies you know it won't be said but a lot of the players there are simply filler because the best players need players to play with. That's a really interesting point that, that has been said by, I can't remember the guy's name, but it was this uh, the idea of, say, Brentford have a B team, ironically, being the Bs, but they, they have a B team instead of having an academy. And the, it was put to them, I think it was in a documentary on BT Sport, that uh, are you not being, you know, sort of callous and not, you know, letting people go early or whatever it might be? And he said, well, actually, I, you might be doing the exact opposite where you, you need 30 players in an under-18 squad and you know that the bulk of them aren't anywhere near the, the, the level that you need, but you kind of need to keep them engaged. So there's probably a lot of lying, quite simply, that that goes on. Um, that is that's got to be Harry. We're gonna have to get in, we're gonna have to have a part two, like for sure. But I I just want to ask you these couple of questions just before uh, we let you go. And Harry, thank you for for um, putting aside a little bit of time for us. But yeah, definitely need to get you in the studio, mate. Um, so the, what I want to finish on, of course, is the England under twenty one side. First of all, how do you reflect on that victory and the sort of the meaning behind it? Because we're going to sort of have a look at that ourselves. And then also from that squad and from that team, which player for you do you think is a is one that you really see having a really nice, strong England career moving forward, which is obviously a bit of pressure on that player, but it's just yeah, be yeah. good to get your opinion on it, mate. Yeah, well, well to answer the first question, I think it's, it's one of those where the, the trophy win in itself doesn't mean you're going to have the highest level career, obviously. But one big issue of youth football is that so much of it, in fact, the vast, vast majority, it's irrelevant if the player wins or not. So the more that these young players can become accustomed to what it means to win, to learn how to win, things like that. It's not a case of like 
saying a player, teaching them how to want to win. Every player wants to win, but it's about getting them to know what it means to win when there's pressure at stake. You know, most of youth football, it doesn't have that. So it's really good for things like that. As long as you get that balance of remembering that it shouldn't be to the detriment of development of the player. So you could win a tournament, but if it's done in a way that doesn't develop your individuals, then what's the point? It's a youth tournament. So, of course, it's important to, for, for players to to learn how to win, know what it means to win, be able to get over the line in, in difficult situations. But at youth football, it should always be the priority. It has to be development of the player. And that goes hand in hand as well with learning how to win. Of course it does. You know, that's a part of development. So the biggest priority is development, learning, sorry, is developing the player. But a big part of that is what it means to win. In terms of a, a, a player that I could pick out, Levi Cole been singing his praises for a number of years. You can never, ever tell, but you can sometimes tell. For even <laughs> young age. You, you just can. Of just like this. Yeah. Obviously, anything can happen. And until it happens, you never truly know. But you just see that player just has that, that extra thing that will stand him above the rest or make him get to the highest levels. I can't see him having anything other than an incredibly established Champions League, top league, international career. You're talking 80-plus England caps for me, no question. I think he's wow. a phenomenal talent. Um, I would go as far to say he's the best young under-21 centre-back I've ever seen um, at any level. Um, for me, he's the best passer of a ball from centre-back in the world, in Europe, and that's talking first team as well. Um, I don't know there's a better passer of a football than Levi Colwell. Um, yeah, I think it might, people might say, oh, well, what's he proven? Sometimes you just got to trust that you, there's a player there. And if I'm... He's 21. <laughs> yeah. If I'm, yeah. yeah. If I'm How many Champions Leagues has he won, though? How many Champions Leagues has he won? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. But if I'm Chelsea Football Club, I would be making sure that there's, there's a spot open there for him because he's just that good. And you've got to trust your gut and trust your player that this is a player that can get to a top, top level. So, yeah, uh, it'll be interesting. To, I would hope that Pochettino and the club see him as that level of talent as well. And there is a spot for him the first game of the season, or at least, you know, a, a major role for him in the, in the first team. Obviously, let's see how that happens. But he would be the one player I would say from that, from that group. Harry, we could chat to you for hours and I look forward to that day. Um, thank you very much. Thank you so much for uh, putting aside a little bit of time for us. Uh, and We'll let you go now, mate. Um, but yeah, amazing stuff, mate. Really, really interesting. And uh, we'll speak again for sure. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Queku is chomping at the bit with uh, with all this Levi Colwell chat. <laughs> and I get, quite, I get protective about Levi Colwell a little yeah. bit because I'm like, I said this. Yeah, <laughs> I said yeah, this yeah, when yeah. he was at Huddersfield. Like I said, who like this guy will play for England then, and now I sound like those people that do that, and and, and that annoys me as well. So I'm in a really difficult place over here right now. But let's just like focus on Levi Cole and how exciting he is, because in terms of that player of the tournament award, he's kind of that is the ripple effect of not being a striker, in my yeah. opinion, because he was certainly the player of the tournament for me personally, and kind of coming back to this sort of holistic discussion on the route to the top he is a great sort of player for us to kind of focus on actually probably quite quite early in this one and we're going to bounce about on our running order and that's fine but the the reason I want to talk about him is because as good as he is 
and as certain as everyone is about something that you can't really be this, that certain about, and I'm gonna actually I'm gonna come to you here, Joe, because you know this this is your job, you know, looking at the these players and suggesting if they're gonna kind of get right to the top or not. But this is a player that is not guaranteed a spot for Chelsea next year. So what how good have you got to be to be guaranteed a spot? at a top six side right now because what one stat I, I, I saw which I thought was really interesting was that there were only five starters English starters in that first game of the season last season five Levi Cole was one of those um, Saka was another one Anthony Gordon was another one I, remember, I can't remember the last two but there is a blockage at the, when it comes to the pathway a little bit so yeah how do you feel about Levi Cole and his first of all I guess it's prospects but secondly I guess his development at Chelsea I mean, I echo what you said. I echo what Harry said. I think with with the Player of the Tournament awards, you know, they are heavily weighted towards who scored the most goals, who has been the most exciting, creative player, or whatever. Mm. For me, Colwell was was undisputably the uh, the, the Player of the Tournament at the Under Twenty One Euros just gone. Um, just so composed on on the ball, you know, good recovery speed, good defensive fundamentals. Like, let's not forget, England didn't concede. Yeah, exactly. At this tournament, um, which yes, it's a team effort and the structure and the framework, the the coaching, yeah. obviously, and has a few to... moments along the way as well. Uh, yeah, actually, yeah. you know, when you look at it, look, Trafford, you know, again, one of the one of the players of the tournament with a, a lot of big saves. But you're you're right. There was a sort of there was also a control from this England team. Yeah. I think that we haven't seen, and we'll, we'll obviously talk about that a, a lot as well. But that kind of that comes into it, to him. I sort of hinted at it at the start of the podcast. We were talking about. I put up a clip on Twitter about the Chelsea Academy, which is a, a comment that Kweku made that I agreed with in terms of it being slightly damning on Chelsea's academy that Mason Mount was kind of sold. How would you feel if Levi Colwell makes way as well? You said that in some interviews he's not always that sort of uh, gushing about Chelsea and his mm. prospects there. So, how do you feel about it, his situation? Um, it's up in the air and somebody like that who's so heavily coveted and you hear Harry he went into Harry Redknapp mode there he's going right to the very <laughs> top because because I think it's it's there to see and you see the clubs linked with him and I think the gloss came off of Colwell a little bit and football's just driven by narrative because of the playoff final where he scored the own goal and if people their first introduction to seeing Levi Colwell on the national yeah. stage is seeing him score an own goal in the playoff final it doesn't necessarily reflect the best on him despite the fact he had a good game and so and an um, sorry and an unbelievable season and an incredible yeah. season for Huddersfield with a team he, that shouldn't have been anywhere near the <laughs> and he was playoff. a huge reason why they were there yeah. um, and so when I saw him go on loan it was very surprising because Chelsea were in need of a centre back in 2022 and we saw players come in whether it be in the summer or in in January with Badia Shil or in the summer of uh, Fafana and he's a player with left footed centre back as well was great on the eye and I can't understand why it's a dispute whether he'd be starting for Chelsea next season I can't see a better partner for Thiago Silva or Wesley Fafana playing on the left side of a, of a back two or uh, on the left side of when Chelsea playing a back four mm. than Levi Colwell he's such a great defender who's got all the attributes both tangible and intangibles he speaks really well He pl- that's the thing of the under-21s tournament when you saw him play, you can you can notice when you're watching new football players who are not of like not fully developed. There's a bit of it's a bit erratic. The game's very very fast. But when you saw Levi Colwell just put his foot on the ball and just yeah. assess everything, and obviously the clip that went viral of him just yeah. literally on the ball for about a minute whilst everybody's everybody's trying to find the right positions, he just gives you the sense of a top player. And I think 
the ability to learn off of Thiago Silva, the ability to come into a Chelsea side that are not expected to finish in the top four is almost a perfect environment. So the fact that there's questions about him starting for Chelsea next season does surprise me and does worry me as well because if you are to believe uh, the things coming out of Cobham, it doesn't seem like he's got his heart set on staying at Chelsea, whether it's because he doesn't feel the love from the club or whether he thinks he's going to get better opportunities elsewhere. Um, there's a multitude of reasons for that. But I think if Chelsea were to le- let Levi Colwell go, we will be paying for it for years to come. Just to play devil's advocate for a second, it, it the ripple effect of the under-21s doing as well as, they, as they've done and is that his stock has skyrocketed. And you do you have brought in those other players, which again I think have have blocked, well, somewhat blocked his uh, development. But I guess uh, if you're really looking at it as like you know, all we really want is that end product. We don't really want you until you're 22, 23, and, and good to go, and have had the games. So he's gone to Huddersfield. He's gone to the mid Prem team that you know is perfect in terms of Brighton and the quality that they have and the dominance they have in a game. And you can now sell you you know either way. Either way, they're actually okay. Because if you wanted to sell Levi Colwell, now is actually the time to sell him, isn't it? It's a bit like um, Arsenal with Balogun, isn't it? You know, he's gone to France, he's scored all those goals. And yeah, you know what? There might not be a clear pathway because there are other players in, in, you know, maybe better fettle to to play in that position but or the still fear to make... give them the opportunity well, right that's the that's the big one i always i always think this about you know big top 6 clubs it's a lot more palatable for a manager to bring in a 60 million pound new signing from abroad who might be maybe one or two years older than to to blood an academy product because the connotations of putting an academy product in is oh, well are they ready but because they've come from abroad because the 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 i don't know the, the sexier signings come from abroad it's like, well, you know, he's been playing regular football for for Monaco or you know for for Rennes or these types of teams. It's a lot more, it's a lot easier to to sell that, and because the price tag comes as well, yeah. rather than trainee sort yeah. of thing. So, um, I, I mean, the the thing with Chelsea, I think, is what maybe Chelsea haven't been so good at doing in the past few years is you know you know the sunk cost fallacy, where basically you just continue to to do something even though it is to your detriment because you've you've begun right um so you know signing someone like Badia Shield, yeah undoubtedly a very 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 talented player but ultimately if you're if you're the, a key decision maker at Chelsea you're looking at Levi Colwell thinking well this is probably like like you said we're probably going to be paying for this <sighs> a lot further down the line and also put yourself in someone else's shoes another sporting director's shoes and say well if this player was playing abroad somewhere or at another team we'd be interested 100% I think that's it the pressure comes from above though because most of the time you, you've got to trust your manager's talent ID and these are these are managers who are the best in the world if they're managing a top six team in the Premier League but the pressure comes from above because they know the time is limited there's only a few managers in this league Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp being the two of them that have not unlimited time but they will leave a club on their own accord yeah, yeah. Whereas the pressure ramps up straight away. Pochettino said in his first press conference, he can't sit there and ask for time. He's not given time. Time's not given in football. And so I think a lot of managers revert to experience, revert to players that they know. And Pochettino has shown that at Spurs that he can bring through, he can find diamonds in the rough and make them top quality players. But I think it's more digestible for the people who pay his wages for him to to play a Badia Shield who they spent millions of pounds on in January as opposed to Levi Colwell who is an unknown quantity at this top level. But 
saying that Chelsea are at any higher level than Brighton I don't think so at this point yeah. in time so so I, it just that whole situation doesn't make sense mm. to me you can't read into stuff you see on social media but that Instagram live of Madweki and Levi yeah. Colwell and he actively avoided talking about coming back to Chelsea because I think he's leaving his options, options open because that's what the club are doing that's what the club are doing exactly yeah and it's literally maybe we've set up upon a, a theme here a little bit and we talk about those contradictions first of all like in terms of Coming back to what you're saying about, you know, get a player from Monaco because it's just that bit sexier and all yeah. that stuff. In terms of like allowing to cultivate a sort of fertile ground for a player to to get to where they want to be. I think you, you've got a better chance with a younger player because there is that element of oh, he's one of our guys. And, and you can I've seen it at QPR. You know, QB, I've gone up and down and you're like, you can laugh, whatever. But we've brought a lot of players through and it, you definitely, you'll give that lad that little bit more time, that little bit more encouragement. You'll go, okay, you'll compromise in terms of your emotions and total get angry at a player to give them that chance. Whereas Kukurea comes in and if he doesn't hit it straight away, you go, hang on a minute, look at this price tag. What are you doing? So that's, that's one element here. But then you, you, the contradiction here, if you are the people at the top, you talk about the pressure from the top, and we'll look, we're using Chelsea as an example here. This can this can occur mm. anywhere because uh, I think it's a Premier League problem to a point. The the owners, they 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 want. If if you ask them, who would you like to succeed here? They want Badia Shield to to succeed yeah. over over Levi Colwell. Yeah. and that's like that gentle bias is. Is kind of dangerous as well. But Do you know what I mean? It's steeped in commercial reasons as well. It's steeped in reasons that aren't just football because they know that Chelsea is a global commodity. And if Badger Shield, who's from France, succeeds, that that increases Chelsea's scope or increases Chelsea's kind of brand worldwide. And I just I was talking to somebody. I was talking to Harry Watlin, who's a first team coach at Rangers. Um, he's working with Mick Bill and he worked at Chelsea's academy. And he was talking about Callum Hudson Odoi, and he was like, "Look at how Chelsea perceived Hudson Odoi." pre and post the interest from Bayern Munich. As soon as Bayern Munich said they were interested, they gave Callum hudson Doyle, who played barely 20 games for Chelsea, mm. 120 grand per week because, oh, so, oh, somebody else is interested in him. And it's just that lack of foresight and lack of assessing the talent that you've got. Yeah. That, uh, your think, own opinion, really. Yeah, yeah, your own opinion or just <laughs> denying what the eyes tell you um, has held Chelsea back and it will hold Chelsea back going forward unless they address the issue of selling academy products that can actually help the first team. Mm. It just feels a little bit confused. I think you always kind of get away with it with Chelsea because they have so much talent coming through all the time. So that kind of stockpiling is, it works. It really does work. But it kind of, it just feels, um, it lacks a bit of romance and it feels like a bit of a shame a lot of the time with some of those players. In terms of Levi Koa then, you know, how much would, how much would you get for him right now? And in terms of our options here, could... Well, I think you could have previously said maybe Aston Villa might have had a little look at him as a team that has a little bit of money, but they've now got Pau Torres. Newcastle could go for him, your team, Joe. Uh, you know, it looks like they're generally spending money elsewhere, but it could be one where it's like, is now the time to get someone like that with uh, Fabian Schoes, just that little bit older, mm. Champions League football as well. Man United, <laughs> could they fancy him <laughs> as well? Or is that kind of, is there going to be a bad feeling between Man United and Chelsea after the Mount transfer, which... If you're going to sell one, might as well, you know, might as well sell two. <laughs> or is, uh, does he want to go? Or would you like to see him go abroad? Uh, you could go to Milan. You've obviously you've just seen Tamori's gone and done that. Loftus Sheik has just gone to Milan as well. A lot of players going abroad. A lot of English players going abroad. Mm. Maybe we touch on that for a second. Actually, 
what do you think about a move abroad for for Lee uh, Levi Carwell in terms of his development and players in general because it's happened a lot. I mean, I think there's there's the precedent now. Certainly a lot more than there was 10, 15 years ago. There's for... a lack of fear, isn't there? Now, yeah, like yeah, yeah. It, back in the day, it was like <laughs> Danny Dicchio, and that was it. <laughs> like Owen Hargreaves is the great unknown. Like, yeah, wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, I, I think it would have to be at the right club again. And I'd also do think that given where his stock is right now, you do de- just fundamentally get the more lucrative offers in the Premier League. Mm-hmm. You know, it is the, the Super League of Europe, essentially. Um, but you look at someone like Tamori, he's playing Champions League semi-finals. You know, there's, there's, it's not a stretch to say that had he remained at Chelsea, you know, he would have been limited to, you know, playing Carabao Cup games, FA Cup games for, you know, X period of time before deciding to move on. He's gone out there, he's gone to Milan. He's, you know, he's taken a jump. Some would say because you know new culture, new language, um, and it's it's obviously going to be difficult to integrate. But you know he's I think he's thrived out there. I often create this sort of analogy, which could be completely unfair. And please do put me in my place. That there's for me there's like you can have a loan to a League One side, then a loan to the Championship, and then there's this gap between the Championship and possibly the more so. Sorry, there's a gap between the bottom of the Premier League and those top six sides. Mm. And that so that Premier League loan could also be a Bundesliga loan. I feel like you've seen that a lot with a lot of players. Yeah. Um, a lot of the Man United players gone making their way out there or whoever. But it feels like that's the kind of... That, that is a jump that you can do. Go Bundesliga, go Serie A, go Liga, and then come back and then you're yeah. kind of ready. You know, Saliba, another example of that maybe. Is that a fair thing to do? Because I know fans of those other leagues often get incredibly frustrated with that view. How do you feel about that? No, I, th- I think it's it's. You look at someone like Reese Nelson or Emil Smith Rowe. Both of them went to Germany. They didn't. I mean, they had you know mixed loan spells out there. Um, but you can see it as sort of like a, a sidestep in a way. And if you you remain, you know, a lot of loan players, a lot of players, sorry, when they go out on loan, they sign a contract at the their their parent club. And then go out on loan yeah. immediately because that's the plan. Um, so what? So why is that analogy true? Just to kind of because I think the step from a championship loan to being a regular starter in the Premier League is a lot bigger than uh, still a lot bigger than a lot of people realise. Mm. It's leagues within leagues, the Premier League. And in in terms, yes, absolutely. Mm. And in terms of the the step up, do you see that more surrounding the idea of quality or the, the idea of pressure i think it's probably a relationship between the two especially yeah. is if that a fallacy what i'm saying there in terms of because i'm happy to be wrong like it, that because i went to watch um dortmund and like you know the place was bouncing it was great and obviously it's their major league <laughs> like, but i kind of i personally feel maybe just as an a fan who watched the premier league i didn't i don't feel that i don't feel that same pressure but that could be down to uh, my lack of investment in it there's a lot of jeopardy because of the financial repercussions in the premier mm. league there's a lot of jeopardy and you talk about a player who went on loan billy gilmore who went on loan to norwich and that was terrible for his development because norwich are fighting for survival and they don't have a they don't have a chance or an opportunity to give billy gilmore time to mm. for him to personally develop mm. they have to stay in the premier league because it means millions and millions and millions of pounds and so maybe there is maybe there's a perceived lack of of pressure in other leagues because they're not from that country and we don't watch that football week in and week out um but there is 
definitely an intensity to play in Premier League football. The amount of coverage, the uh, it's not even things on the pitch, not even tactical things. It's just things away from them, the uncontrollables, the the media pressure that I think can get to players. And if you don't pick the right loan move, someone like Ethan Ampadu, who was an incredible yeah. player who who went abroad and the loans didn't work, and now they he's gone to Venezia and he's he's had a couple of decent loans where it's gone okay for him, but. It, 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 there's a certain type of pressure when you go on loan to a Premier League team that you don't feel when you go abroad. Do you know, I wonder if it, it is this something as simple simple as language. So if you're in, if you're Harry Winks playing for Sampdoria, finishing bottom of Serie A, but you felt like you played all right, and you're going on Twitter and no, your bubble, your echo chamber is not seeing any of it, right? Yeah. You'd just be like. I'm all, it's, I think it's just going all right. Like you're kind of out of because that's the truth. We've all had that in our lives, haven't we? We're like, yeah. I'm looking at Twitter a little bit too much here. I'm going to put it away for a little bit, and then you go, you know, two days later, you go, oh, do you know, what? I've really enjoyed this time. You know, you end up going back on it, but that could be, that might be part of the pressure is that kind of sort of outside out of mind. Kind but of then the outside out of mind can also play against you because I think for Kai Tomori over the last couple of seasons has played well enough to be selected for England but he doesn't seem to be favoured mm. by Gareth Southgate. So that can also uh, that can also come a cropper if you're a player that's playing abroad that isn't in the zeitgeist of the Premier League where eyes are on you 24-7. Um, but if you're good enough hopefully hopefully that doesn't happen but I think that, that could be also a pitfall for players that do go abroad because you can fall out of consciousness when it comes to English football fans. Right, guys, stick around. So many more players we want to talk about and just generally England's DNA. We're going to talk about Curtis Jones, Emil Smith-Rowe and Lee Carsley as well. And we'll be back in just a second. You're listening to The Ripple Effect. Curtis Jones, let's talk about this man. I, th- I think in terms of The Ripple Effect, you know, he has an opportunity this this summer, this season, to look at the situation that, that Liverpool have and think, well, you know, I can really stake a claim here. The numbers might not totally be there with Emil Smith-Rowe, uh, as like sometimes they haven't been with Mason Mount, but I love him. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Coach Jones, let's talk about this man. Because... He's had a bit of a renaissance. You know, for someone so yeah. <laughs> young in his career, like it felt like, uh, oh, he's not that, that old adage of like eight, 10, 15 games. Oh, I think he's really good, but maybe he's running on adrenaline a little bit. And a bit like Harry was talking about, you know, getting the five minutes or whatever it is, is one thing, but being the guy is the other. And the it's amazing how you can look at things differently. Like that Liverpool midfield became came under so much scrutiny last year. But with Curtis Jones's performances at the back end of last season and his performances in this competition and the fact that they've signed two eights in McAllister and Sabozlai, that's a bit of a headache for, for Liverpool. Um, what do you see being the sort of the ripple effect for Curtis Jones when it comes to this, this tournament? Because he's got two options here, stay and fight or maybe make a move as well. What do you think might be the right um, ripple effect for him? 
I mean, I think with Curtis Jones, just as a player, I really, really like his style. Um, you know, from the first time that you watch him coming through as within the, the Liverpool team, you know, having the, the confidence, the swagger that he had as a teenager. Um, and I think that's something which really, really stands in his favour. You know, he's got that good blend of, you know, he's, he's got wiry strength. So he doesn't, he's deceptively strong for, for sort of how he looks. Yeah. Um, and he's good, good on the ball. He's slippery, like he can just spin out with challenges and, um, and he can carry the ball. So I think there's definitely merit in having a player of that profile in a Premier League squad, particularly one which is, you know, like Liverpool, where they're going through a little bit of transition, particularly in midfield. I, th I think in terms of the ripple effect, you know, he has an opportunity this this summer, this season, to look at the situation that, that Liverpool have and think, well, you know, I can really stake a claim here because, you know, who's to say that Soboslai and, and, and McAllister are going to hit the ground running? How, how, how often do new signings, especially those that come from, you know, other major European leagues, they, you know, how often do they need a little bit of bedding in time? When you're putting forward players for Scouted Football, which is a great magazine and people should check out, what how, are you tentative in saying that this this move will work? Like, how many times have you been bitten when it comes to oh, that? Oh, bitten, like, been bitten, been burnt. Because yeah. so I, I feel it every year. I go, oh, yeah, I remember this, where we all <laughs> say all these players, they're like, go on YouTube. Every single player is like, why, this guy is just a huge signing for blah, blah, blah. And I get it. Like, people want to live in the world of optimism, which I'm all for. But you're, you're right. Like, some of these transfers might not work. Like, that, is that... Is that something you are tentative about with you? I mean, I wouldn't say I'm tentative about it. I think with with hypotheticals, you always have to take it with a pinch of salt. Like sometimes, I don't know, some, sometimes it might be a, a great move on paper, but for circumstances outside of the player's control, you know, uh, a manager might, uh, they might sign for a club who the the, the style of play f the, the manager employs is absolutely perfect for their for their character, for their profile. And then... You know, a difficult run. They might not win in eight games, and they get the manager gets jettisoned, and then all of a sudden, that player gets typecast as well. He was such and such's player. Yeah, it was his signing. Of course. You know, do I do I want him in the, in this team? Um, do I want to give him such an in integral role because he's only been there for eight, ten games? You know, how can I say that he's he's a he's an established player? I think it's difficult for me with him. I think. What we've just spoken about with Chelsea is I think you also need any team, you should have a desire to have people that understand the area and the club ingrained mm -hmm. within your team. That is part of a well-stitched fabric for a successful team, in my opinion. And that can come from bringing players in and, and giving them time or literally players who come through the academy. And I think with Curtis Jones and what Liverpool have in front of them next season, which isn't a Champions League run, it's the Europa League. That's... That's a great place for him to kind of be in with that continued development. Like he's obviously great and you could do the Trent thing and give him every game. And I think there was sometimes you can kind of get done by the person behind you who's had such a great rise and you go, yeah. Okay, you go, you do it. And it's you know, again, it's not that simple. But I personally, I'd be wary of a loan for him. Because he could go to a, you know, you could, he, there seems to be a nice strong link between Brighton, which is, you know, again, as a as a fan of a championship club, when you're when you're a club that plays good football and has good coaches and brings players through, you are far more appetising oh, to go and get those loan signings, which is another worry I have with QPR right now. But so Curtis Jones with Brighton, although I guess the only problem here is you're starting to you've got a bit of a competitor there now yeah, yeah, because yeah. of how well they've done. But I think I think there's there's a lot of there's a thirty game season there for Curtis Jones, and as you say with those transfers, if they don't work out, he's a guy you can trust to a point. 
yeah. who's only getting better and you can give him some games in the big games as well. And that's what Liverpool have done well in terms of recruitment. They've brought in players to improve their first level. And when you do that, you subsequently improve your squad because like you say, so Bosley or McAllister might not hit. It might take them a while to settle in. It might be a case that Curtis Jones has a great pre-season and starts. And as a result of that, you've got either McAllister or Bosley. He does different jobs to those two players coming off the bench for you and and you've got a player who's from the area starting I think it, I think to send Curtis Jones out on loan this season would be a mistake for Liverpool I think he's somebody that can contribute massively you touched on it James he, they've got Europa League football it's very different to Champions League football it's a lot of games um, too right? it's a lot of games and the Thursday Sundays allows for players who are developing to maybe get more minutes um, and so I feel like Curtis Jones is set for to have a really good season and you see a lot of people on Twitter pat themselves on the back because he's somebody that passed the eye test and so if you're watching Bull Curtis Jones is the player that you like to watch and if you've stuck by and you've invested your stocks <laughs> in Curtis Jones they're coming up good right now because he's a player that has got undoubted quality just he's so silky on the ball he's got the ability to to get out of tight situations and towards the back of the season, he was showing that in the final third, he can be pretty decisive as well. So he's a player that's got so much upside. And if he's from the area and he's a, he's a Liverpool boy, I don't see any reason why you wouldn't have him in and around the squad and potentially the first 11 come next season. I'll tell you what, guys, if you are one of those people, we're going to clip this up and put it on Twitter. So retweet this and say, I'm him. Because <laughs> you are the people that stuck by Curtis Jones. Although in three months, we might be saying he needs to go. Um, speaking of a player who did well when it came to the Europa League and got that kind of first chance really there, with Emil Smith Rowe, who has now won at under 17 level and under uh, 21 level, of course, as well, played uh, as a sort of an inverted attacker from the left hand side here. But if you think of Arsenal, got Martinelli ahead of him, uh, who's obviously going to play, was fantastic for them last year. They're playing a system that doesn't really suit where he would be, and maybe the place that he would be might be as that left sided eight. But you see him as a number 10 long term. What do you see him as? I think I'm having. I, mean, I think we're all having a bit of a crisis in terms of what is yeah. you know our tens knocking about right now. I've just recorded a video that's going to come out on my channel soon, and it's kind of predicting possibly the next iteration of what Pep's going to do next. And I do wonder if after leading us all down this merry road of eights, <laughs> he's going to kind of come back to a, a number ten, like and there it. might be a, a space for that. Uh, look, he can. I think this is. This is what I'm seeing everywhere right now. We spoke about this last week. I really enjoyed that conversation. Guys, if you haven't listened to last week's podcast, it was really, really good because I think what we're focusing on, and Joe, you'll be able to chip in here definitely, is that positions are dead a little bit now. Like you can have your your numbers, but someone being a position, Mm -hmm. you know, if we sort of, we can skip around here for a second, but if we have a look at that 2009 under 21 side, there's a lot of players here that didn't have that flexibility mm-hmm. that the the team has just you know say like look i mean say that midfield three you had muamba noble catamol up against <laughs> up against hummels kadira urzels uh, in that team as well so you need players that today you have to have players who are versatile and can move around and we we'll, we can go through that whole england lineup there are several players who are not playing in their position so I don't I love Emil Smith-Rowe and in terms of intelligence mm-hmm. and awareness of space and doing that in, in a often a quite a sort of sacrificial way a bit like Mason Mount as well the numbers might not totally be there with Emil Smith-Rowe uh, as like sometimes they haven't been with Mason Mount but I love him I really really love him sadly 
it feels like there isn't really a place for him at Arsenal right now. And what's interesting as well, again, coming back to these transfers and things working, not working, Fabio Vieira, who is one of the previous winners of uh, player of the tournament for this tournament, for the under-21s, he's kind of gone there and he's had five games and we've all decided he's rubbish now. Mm. So... But he, you know, he was brought in for a reason. So, and you've got Trossard, and you've got Havertz, mm-hmm. and you've got Rice. If you, you know, if you did want to play him in that position as well. So, the, my problem with his, him is that I'm, I'm just struggling to see where he's going to get the game time he needs. And what I really love about all these players is that they are antsy. They want to, they want to move and play games. They understand that that is how you thrive. So, I'd like to see him move on. Just to, just to get the games. I think we'll see him back at the top. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you do that. Yeah. Like sometimes you have to. And it would be great if he could be an integral part of that Arsenal team. I'm just struggling to see it. Do you feel like the Arsenal team had the the injury came at the worst time because they they progressed and they got to stage five or phase three of wherever Arteta wants to get to, mm. and he just kind of missed that boat whilst the team progressed. Totally. Like trust like. Trossard played in several different positions. Again, another hybrid player. And it's a hybrid squad that he, he wants mm-hmm. there and he's created there. But you're right. Like, is Jacker is Xhaka Xhaka if Emil Smith had been constantly fit no, last season? No. I mean, maybe you needed that experience. Mm. But I think it would have been up for grabs a little bit more. I think it's, it's such a difficult one with Smith Rowe because, as you say, I, the, the injuries did really come at the wrong time. It, it's... You know, the, he, missing the boat is, is is completely the right analogy because they've they've progressed, they've gone to the next stage while he's just been sat there. You know, treatment room, treatment room. It's like how how do you how do you get yourself back to that level when you're already playing catch up? Yeah. Um, and you're you you know you're not just playing catch up with your teammates. You're not just playing catch up with the rest of the league. You're having to get back to the the physical level. You know, you think when I don't know you get like an injury at five aside or seven aside or something. That first few <laughs> games back, weeks, yeah. it does not feel the same. No, no. Um, so I mean, imagine doing that at an elite level as well. It's I think that's one of the things where I think you've got to be proactive. He has to be yes. proactive. I yeah. know he's like, didn't he get the, he got the fourteen shirt? Like they gave him the contract. Ten. He got ten. 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 Sorry, ten. sorry. Yeah. Um, but you have to be proactive because otherwise you're going to be Hudson Adoy or you're going to be Ruben Loftus Cheek yeah. or you're going to be those several players. And like, you know, God, I'm not trying to have a go at those players. I just think you've got to stay on top of it. Tamori isn't Tamori unless he's brave enough. Proactive, yeah. proactive, proactive. proactive. And, and and that's the thing. It's like if Arsenal were. And shot window, sorry, as well. A hundred percent. And right now his, his stock is at the highest it's probably been since he got injured. And it was one thing if the team is underperforming when you're out, but the team exceeded expectations massively. Yeah. And so he's sitting there where it's good feelings and good vibes at the club. And he's in the treatment room, which is a very lonely place at the best of times. But when your team's winning, it's it's even worse than that. And so for him, I don't I agree with you. I don't see where he fits into this Arsenal team where he's gonna get enough minutes to progress and develop at the rate he should. So maybe a loan move. That's what I was gonna say. If, yeah, to throw it to you, if you're Arsenal. You don't want to sell him, though, do you? No, you don't want to sell him. You you actively look for a loan for him. You have to find the right club. Yeah. What is the right club for him? Is it going abroad again or is it staying in the Premier League? If you go through it, 
how many clubs, how many players can Brighton take on loan? Do <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> we want him to go to Brighton, but how many players can yeah. Brighton take? I, I don't know where would be a great move for him because the league has kind of, despite the fact that the top six or seven have moved far away from everybody else, it's kind of condensed with the emergence of Aston Villa and the emergence of Brighton as well. So it's a strange one. Where mm. does he go to develop his skills further? And I mean, can he get enough minutes at Champions League with the Champions League and everything else that's going on there? Maybe, but I just don't think it's the kind of minutes he needs yeah, right I, now. Yeah, they're, they're filler minutes for, yeah. for a player, I don't know, maybe two or three years younger. You know, if this was Smith Rowe at 20 or, you know, at 18 or 19, and he's coming through and he's, he's you know, he's, he's doing all, making all the right noises, I think we're ha- sat here having a very, very different conversation. Yeah. I think it's the context of time. That you know he has been he has been there. He's obviously dropped down, but then the team's gone to the next level anyway. That means we're now having this conversation. I, I agree. I don't think Arsenal are going to look to sell him, or, or they should be looking to sell him because, again, he's a type of player like a Colwell who could come back to bite you. Can I put forward a loan move Go on. For, for ESR? And we're gonna we could change the name. And Finn, who's our editor, get ready to this sort of a little painful grunt here. But actually, with Zaha possibly going, this is a softener, Finn, if you're listening, which you should be because you're getting paid to. Is <laughs> <laughs> him at Palace, the, the vibes FC, right? Imagine Eze, and I know I'd bring everything back to Eze, but Eze <laughs> likes to drift over to that left-hand yeah. side. Yeah. Smith Rowe wants to come into that 10 yeah, position. Yeah. Let them all wiggle about and have some fun. I think he could... Uh, if you think of Conor Gallagher and what he did yeah. there... That was a great move at that kind of time. Now, Emma Smith Rowe's kind of reached a higher ceiling. Gallagher sort of was working his way along there. And again, success, you know, in football is not linear. I think Palace might be really good fun for him. Yeah. And also the fact that towards the back end of the season when Roy Hodger came in, he took the handbrakes off. It was yeah, yeah. weird watching Palace play at the back of the season. carry on with that? I don't know. I, I don't know. I've... Is, that, is there a certain, how old is he? Is 75. Like 75. Is it when you hit 75, you then just go, do you know what, boys? Just have a bit of fun out there. Go out there. Just just have some fun. Yeah. Yeah. Go on. How many nutmegs can you get? Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that, though. I like I like the Palace the palace comparison or Palace move for for Smith Road because, like you say, there's players there that complement his style. Yeah. And the, stays in London as well. Exactly. Which nice um, fits the culture as well. Exactly. Yeah. I think culture is a huge thing for loan moves um, because tactically you can look at it, you can analyse it, you can break it down. But culturally, if it's not a fit, it's mm. not going to work. And it seems like with the way that Palace have built their squad over the last five, six years, Emerson Smith Road could go there and maybe develop himself as a top player. I was just on that move on culture. I was speaking to Ike Ogbo uh, a couple of years ago, and he was talking about it was when he was scoring loads of goals in Holland and Belgium, and uh, he was saying that you know that that sometimes it's difficult for for people to appreciate that you know he went on loan to Barnsley and Scunthorpe, I think it was from Chelsea, and it was so difficult for him to to adapt because he was he was a London boy. He'd literally he, his entire life was within the M25. And, you know, going out somewhere to exclusively to play football, live in a hotel, you know, the, the culture around the clubs where he was, was was very, very different to what he'd been used to in Cobham. Yeah. So the the culture is certainly a massive thing. And I think we're seeing a, uh, an increase in the, n- the number of loan managers at Premier League clubs. It's not just a sporting director going, right, well, because obviously they're very busy. It's not just a sporting director going, well, they look like a good tactical fit. Yeah, there's a lot more to life than the 90 minutes on a Saturday. Yeah. So if you can if you can integrate with a squad because you've got similar similar profiles, similar backgrounds. I mean, it's even like Wilfred Zahar when he went to Man United. I think he said much of the same. You know, he wasn't ready for that that shift. And again, it's 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 those intangibles which you know you can't quantify. You're like there is 
I mean, certainly as far as I'm aware, there's no computer system which says, are you going to be a good fit culturally at this club? Yeah. It's something where you have to go off feeling. And I think more and more we are seeing moves which do take that into account. But um, yeah, I think Palace is a, is yeah. a good show. Yeah, all decided. We'll yeah. agree on Palace. On, on the loan move thing, sometimes poor loan moves or loan moves that don't go well also do shape players. I remember mm. Tammy Abraham talking about when he went to he went to Swansea, Swansea yeah. and it didn't go well for him at all. Um, and he was out of his comfort zone. He wasn't in London and he had to reassess where he was at his career. For his whole career throughout the youth teams, Tammy Abraham had always scored goals. And that was the one season in his career where he hadn't scored goals. And so when he came back and he finally got a, he got a loan move to Aston Villa, mm. he reassessed how he went about things and he was outside his comfort zone. But because that loan move hadn't gone right the first time, he kind of knew what to do the next time. So it doesn't necessarily have to always work for you. Oh, yeah. I think we've seen that with Billy Gilmore. I think next season is going to be a big season for Billy Gilmore because he probably assessed what happened in Norwich. It didn't go well for him and can go again. So it doesn't always have to work the first time, but we know that clubs haven't got that much patience. So you, you want to get it right as mm. quick as possible. Yeah. That understanding of just, it's about life experience and it's about being net up. Like there's roads. I always say like people message me all the time saying, you know, should I do this? Should I do that? Whatever. Like, go down roads. And if you go, oh, I really hate this road, you can turn back and you don't have to go down that road again. Yeah, or, look, yeah. or you have an understanding of, of the terrain of that road. Um, and I think that's it. That's it with all of these players. And I think that's why it's so interesting to see how it, how it plays out. How do you reflect on, on this team that's just won this tournament? I just feel like we've just got a base of great footballers to pick from, which would ultimately stand us a good step going forward. Someone like Levi Colwell, you're always trying things. You know, they might not always come off. But as long as you're always trying those things, you're going to get spotted by those people who have that eye. Right, let's have a look at this sort of tournament as a whole and I guess the progression of England and, you know, this podcast is called The Ripple Effect and, you know, wow. Like, in terms of that England DNA... Greg Dyke having this meeting, calling this sort of call, call to arms meeting of changing the way that English football needed to be played, how players needed to be developed. And in at the time, he said, and I haven't got this sort of quote for quote, I might be able to find it on my phone because I did screenshot it. But he essentially said, the idea is to get to a semi-final by 2020, in Euro 2020. And then to win the World Cup in 2022. He also said, and it'd be nice to have some success along the way, winning the under-17s in uh, in 2017. And it'd be great if we could win an under-20 as well. Yeah. All of which has come to pass, which is, I mean, absolutely incredible. And obviously someone like Dan Ashworth needs huge credit for kind of what he saw at the time and that was 2013 and they also kind of said there would be growing pains with this as well but if you you can go and find the some of the slides from that England DNA and so one of them I can just read out a little bit of it here is uh, in possession model the fluid nature of the game means each aspect of possession is closely linked similarly possession may be lost at any stage prompting a transition to the defensive uh, philosophy importantly the goalkeeper is included in all aspects of the playing philosophy both in and out of possession England goalkeepers are viewed as part of the team and not apart from the outfield players and another slide kind of um, summarising is in possession philosophy statement England teams aim to intelligently dominate possession selecting and as someone who's a little bit old and probably a lot of people listen here 
This is not a sentence that people would have felt comfortable with for a long time. Selecting the right moments to progress the play and penetrate the opposition. Wow. That for me, honestly, when I read that, as someone who grew up and I started playing 11-side football at the age of, I want to say, seven. Like, that's, that's the world I grew up in, where you had to, and it was about who could kick the ball furthest. Who was the biggest? Who was the biggest, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, there's a great book called Outliers, and, and there's a few things with, with Outliers. It suggests that, so, for example, like, a lot of the top, the most, uh, the richest people in the world, guys who, you know, made Bill Gates and it might be Jeff Bezos, those kind of people were all sort of born within a, a very specific time of, uh, of the world. It might have been, like, 1950 to 53. Or like when it comes to football and sport, the amount of footballers that are born between September and December, I think it is. And so you're in the first half of your school year. So you're a little bit bigger than everyone mm. else. And so that means that you're a little bit better in your team, which means you get in. Yeah. It allows you to get picked by the team. That means you get better coaching and then you make your way up. These kind of things kind of was something that was such a big thing for me. And because of that style of football, it was like, get it there quickly, like hit good areas. like So this complete change and, and, and braveness towards that. Today in 2023, that sounds obvious, but selecting the right moments, because what that says to me is comfort, mm -hmm. technical comfort on the ball. And when I look at that team, and we were just chatting a little break here because I, I needed a wee, as you guys know, I need to wee a lot. The... <laughs> We were talking about the 2019. We can have a look at that uh, that team again. The and the difference between that team and this team, for me, as much as anything, we could talk about the interchanging positions, which is a huge part of it. But the ability to get yourself out of trouble, to be comfortable in those scenarios where you are under pressure, and throughout that team, when I'm looking at it, just time and again, it's like, you know, Angel Gomez little guy can get himself out of pro uh, trouble, can play a pass. Cole Palmer can drive with the ball. James Garner can drive with the ball. Levi Colwell can drive with the ball. Max Aarons can drive with the ball. Emil Smith-Rowe can drive with the ball. Curtis Jones, your two centre midfielders in a box midfield to a point. I know it was incredibly fluid. Can get in it, get the ball and drive with it. Morgan Gibbs-White, you know, he didn't really play two proper forwards, did we? Mm -hmm. We had players who could get on the ball and get themselves out of problems or affect the game or take on the opposition. And when I was watching the games during the tournament... That was a big thing for me personally. As, like, you, as a player, I was a three-touch player, right? And so if you played against someone who wanted to dribble with the ball in centre midfield, it was like panic stations. Mm. And when you go back to that 2009 team, as I said with that midfield, and I don't want to have a go at that that midfield because, you know, there's... You, you are what you are and, you know, you are subject to your sort of environment that you grow up, to, grow up with. But... You know, Katamol, Mwamba, Noble, those are three three-touch players mm -hmm. who would have been hardened and there would be an idea that, you know, they you know, they won't sort of um, take a backward step and all that stuff. But bravery is a new thing now. And, and the foresight that was shown there, and it's taken a while, but with this team now, you've got, you've got a really exciting team. How do you reflect on, on this team that's just won this tournament? Well, I mean, I don't think you could have played sort of like boxes within boxes of box midfields with th that midfield three from 2009, to say the least. You know, I, th I think if you'd introduced the concept of, I don't know, moving James Garner into sort of a, that, that next line alongside Angel Gomez, shuffle into a back three and then and then operating with, I don't know, those interchangeable, uh, the, the, the false nines and yep. the, the double tens yeah. or double eights or whatever you want to call them. Um, I think that would have been 
<laughs> it would have it would have fried some brains. But yeah, because yeah. it comes back to what we were saying before about our positions being a nonsense now. Like yeah. Max Aarons is a right back; he's playing left back. James Garner's the centre midfielder supposedly; he's playing right back. You know, let's say Gibbs White. You look, you know, he's a, a sort of sort of a forward player, but he could play in several positions if he wanted to. Emerson Smith Rowe, same thing. Anthony Gordon, we saw him as an eight or a, yeah, yeah. or a wide player last season. It's it's incredible. It's roles Absolutely roles incredible. not positions though. That's that's yeah, what it should it. be. It's you know, yeah. Max Aaron's yeah. He's playing on the other side, but there's a reason he's doing that, and it's because you know if if he's going to cut inside, and then maybe someone's got a tendency to I don't know someone like Levi Colwell, a left sided centre half. He's going to play that angular ball down the line. You know, you need to open that space up. So if Aaron's is coming inside, then that that does open up that passing lane. Um, and I mean, yeah, comparing that 2019 to the to the current iteration. You do have a lot more. I think in terms of coaching, that that deserves a lot of credit. The the coaching structure and everything that has been developed at the at St George's Park, you know, it really helps in terms of camaraderie. Um, it really helps in terms. You you look at the best national teams in the world historically. You've got the likes of France. You know, they've they've got Clairefontaine as their their base. Italy have always had Coverciano. You know, I think I can't remember what it's called, but the Dutch have one as well. Right. You know, like these. But the Dutch also have Ajax as an institution. Well, Barcelona yeah. have Le Messier. Yeah. These, well. yeah, exactly. These these institutions, which I mean, look at the Spain team that dominated world football between 2008 and 2012. How many Barcelona players had come through La Masia together? Yeah, it's it's all about just building that familiarity, sprinkling in a bit of coaching, a bit more analysis. And then seeing who picks it up, because mm. some of them, some of them will, some of them won't. You speak to coaches; they say it's you know. Some sometimes you try and introduce these concepts. Some of the players don't get it. Yeah. Others pick it up like a sponge. But and you'll but you'll lose those people by the wayside. Exactly. And that's okay. Like that again. Coming back to what we said at the start, what is good is that there is clear talent there. Like okay, maybe there's not enough of those players getting an opportunity. I think the stat I saw was that it was around 66 players, English players, playing in the Premier League each week. It it's weird. You've kind of got you've got not a huge amount of players there, but the leagues of a high level, they're obviously of a high level as well. And I think people are finding different routes to get themselves back to to sort of the moment when they're ready to take that opportunity. But that comes with games, which we've discussed as well. Also, it's a perfect storm. There's some luck involved in everything. And oh, yeah. Gareth Southgate was the most reluctant England manager when obviously Sam Allardyce lost the job. He didn't necessarily want it. But this is the man who understands the makeup of English football because he managed the under-21s. And then the perfect storm of the managers that came to the Premier League at that time, coaching these players week in, week out, mm. created this storm of just talented footballers and ultimately... And give them opportunities and as well, And give them right? opportunities and, and make them, make embolden them and give them the encouragement to play football. And you can simplify it to the fact that we've just got a team of very, very good footballers who know how to play football, who who are confident with the ball at their feet, whether it's the centre-backs, whether it's the goalkeepers, whether it's the strikers, whether it's the midfielders. They're not even those positions, but apart, apart from the goalkeeper, they're very, very fluid. And when you see England transform into a 4-2-2-2 or you see England play an asymmetric 4 3 it just it is a sight to behold because yeah. four or <laughs> five years ago, ago we wouldn't have been, been able to believe it and yeah. and I feel like when we we don't want to be too harsh on the 2009 team but when you compare this team right now obviously it depends on where they go on to in their careers I just feel like we've just got a base of great footballers to pick from mm -hmm. which would ultimately stand us in good stead going yeah, forward yeah I think that's a really good point because I think you can't you don't always know if you know a team doing well is going to be the be all and end all Claire Fontaine's a really good point to, to make but it's about that pool of players because so for example I think the the French side that didn't even qualify for the tournament for the under um, 
for in 2017, several of those players, Kempembe, Pavard, there's others as well, were in that 2018 squad that wins the World Cup, mm-hmm. right? So, and they, uh, from what I've read, they have a more sort of uh, individualistic approach to, so, okay, you're our three or four guys and we have that ingrained belonging and nature and understanding at every day. So kind of almost forget the tournament a little bit. And also there's, they seem to play the exact same way that Deschamps plays and Deschamps has been there for a long time, which probably helps as well. But again, a similar thing happened where I think they went out in the quarterfinals maybe a couple of years ago. And um, a lot of those players have made it into the 2018 squad where again, they've got to, to a final and there's no doubt that they've got so much quality there. They even went out in the quarterfinals, obviously in this tournament as well. And that Germany team, people, you know, as much as they look at the England side, they actually look at the Germany team a lot of time in, in 2009. So in terms of, sort of the lessons that we can kind of learn from that, what you do see when you look at that 11, you've got Neuer, Boateng, Hummels, Kadira, um, Wagner up top, I, yeah. I mean, he scored scored two goals in the final, but the general spine of that team did kind of make its way through. I think what's interesting with this England side, and that's where Southgate does deserve that element of credit, is they're actually, you know, Bellingham is, you know, Bellingham's young enough to be a part of this. Foden's still young enough <laughs> to be a part of this, and also the amount of caps that so many of those players have got as well uh, shows that we really. I, I, as much as you can, I shouldn't say this, but there's there's absolutely no reason why we don't win. We could be stepping into a really special 12-year period. With Germany, though, you've got to look at the players. Obviously, they did very well in that tournament and they won the World Cup in 2014. 2010 is when a lot of these players came to the forefront. They did make the big moves at the right time. If you look yeah. at Manuel Neuer, moved in 2010 to, or 2011 to Bayern Munich. You look at Mesut Ozil, went to Real Madrid. Look at Kadira, went to Real Madrid. They made the moves when they were ready to make the moves and they played football all the time and were in winning teams. So with the next stage for this team is for these players to go and play in winning teams to go and win league titles to being competed in the latter stage of Champions League and then hopefully that translates to the first team mm. um, and translates to England winning the major trophy because we've got the talent there to do it it's just about the next steps now and what's great about so we spoke about that fertile ground the Premier League until Saudi Arabia buys everyone, is still that place <laughs> yeah. to be. If you want to be in the last stage of the Champions League, it's a, it is a good place to be. Oh, no, I mean, that said, Samori's kind of bucked that trend. But another ripple effect that we can kind of look at here is Spain's failings after the 2019 Euros, where they won it. And actually, Germany and Spain have been very um, uh, impressive in terms of these tournaments over the last few years. Um but it could lead to Premier League teams kind of being held hostage this summer. So that's the Spain 2019 team. There's, so just to run for it, you've got uh, Ayathabal, uh, Ceballos, Fornals is in that team, Danny Olmo, Mark Rocker, uh, Fabian Ruiz in midfield, Junior Firpo, uh, Vallejo, uh, Unai Nunez, uh, Severingo, and I can't even read it, but there's a right back there with a really long name. And uh, so what's interesting here is that if of those players that we've spoken about, Apart from maybe Olmo, um, none of them are really overly competing at that sort of continental level. Uh, And also, interestingly, loads of these players here have made uh, moves abroad quite early in their career. Um, But they've never sort of risen to that level that you're kind of expecting with some of these guys. And actually, that's the thing we should kind of temper as well. And it's probably a question I'll maybe ask you in a little bit is like, of that 11, how many of that 11 do you see being, you know, full time? 
you know, regulars, be it in the squad or in the starting eleven. But there's still sort of work to be done in terms of, again, kind of what Harry was saying is that that gap between, you know, you've made a statement here in the under-21s, but making that move into mm. being those established players of those teams. But the fact that they're already in the Premier League, if they can navigate the league itself and which club they're at, then then it does kind of bode well. One player within that, I think, is Anthony Gordon that we can kind of talk about, who's kind of gone for that that big move. Um, and I guess the ripple effect of this is, you know, if he, you know, Luis Figo, 1994, Fabio Cannavaro, 1996, Andre Perlo in 2000, Peter Cech, 2002, Juan Mata, 2011, Thiago Alcantara in 2013, all previous winners of the award that Anthony Gordon has just won, which is funny. Again, when you think of the spotlight, the noise, the ridicule, the judgment that is put on a player. Mm. How did you feel, you know, as a Newcastle fan, saw that £45 million um, being spent on Anthony Gordon when obviously they've got anyone they could really go out and buy. Uh, do you think that will turn out to be a bargain? I mean, I don't know whether it'll be a bargain, but I think... You know, one of the things that I keep coming back to is that for, for Newcastle supporters, it's that, you know, there, were, there was Jeff Hendrick and Steve Bruce and Kieran Clark. And, you know, the, those players have, have done done their bit. Certainly, Kieran Clark, you know, when we're Newcastle were in the championship. But, um, you know, to be he going out... He also allowed Joe Linton to, to I, Yes, he did, yeah. Um, and with with Gordon, it's it's just, it's nice to see signing players that are sought after by lots of teams. You know, the the, the next big thing. Rather than you know going for well that's a squad filler that's a squad filler, I, I'll be honest I didn't think Anthony Gordon was the player of the tournament I thought it was Levi Corwell yeah mm-hmm. but again we've 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 touched on that and yes he's a he's a good player I think he still needs to find his 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 little niche at Newcastle because the first six months has been difficult for him um, it's been a case of well he's maybe played as sort of the the most advanced eight sometimes he's played coming off the bench on the left hand side. Came halfway for a season two, didn't Ex- he? Yeah, exactly. So it's never easy. And because of how well Newcastle did last year, it was kind of a free hit for him. He's admitted himself he wasn't at the, the requisite fitness level um, when he first turned up at Newcastle. Um, I think he's he's also put on a bit more, um, a bit more like weight, a bit more muscle. Yeah, he's growing up. Um, and that's that's perfectly natural. But I remember once, uh, it was after an England 21s game, and this is sort of the do the, the narrative that oh, Anthony Gordon's a diver, he's this, he's that, you know, he, he cheats or this, that and the other. Which well, he does dive a little bit. I mean, don't, get, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to absolve yeah. some, of the, some of the worst instances. But I remember him explaining, he was saying like, you know, when I'm moving at that speed and I get the, li- the, the smallest little clip. I know I can win a foul. Well, there's that. And there might be, there might be an element of that. Uh, but I thought he was being sincere. Um, it's nothing to do with my personal yeah, allegiances yeah. at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go on, um, uh, and he's just saying, like, look, I'm, I'm going to go over because that's, it's just because I'm going at that speed. And I thought, well, yeah, OK, fair enough. Because a lot of the time you hear young players and they, they talk and they're very sort of robotic and they're very media managed. And that's absolutely the right thing for them because, you know, the, the news cycle does pick up on small little things and then blows it out of proportion. Yeah. But I thought that the way that Gordon spoke, he does seem to have a good grasp of what it means to to you know I don't know to have that scrutiny. Yeah. Um, you know that you, you hear it all the time from from footballers, and I, I hate these phrases, but you know the whole pressure is a privilege sort of thing. Yeah. I think he does understand that, and with the number of games that Newcastle will have next season, you know, both cup competitions, Champions League, Premier League, 
he's going to get reasonable amount of game time. Yeah. Do you know what though? Like that that phrase when you said that first player, I thought was Jack Grealish. He says it a lot. Yeah, yeah. And and when I hear that, and we've all we all do it. Everyone does it. Sometimes I'm not sure I believe him, but I believe that he wants to believe in that. Yeah. And yeah. sometimes you got to sort of got yeah. to fake it till you make it. You got to say it till you yeah. feel it, kind I, of thing. And you, you brought up the word narrative. Whenever the word narrative gets brought up, my light, my eyes <laughs> light up completely. When I look at Anthony Gordon, it's completely different, different positions, different era. But I remember a player that left their boyhood club under a cloud, went to a club that were going in a different direction. I'm talking about Frank Lampard here, and and established a legacy that far outweighed what anybody expected for him. And I think Anthony Gordon's got the base level of ability. I think he's, in terms of base level ability, more talented than what Frank Lampard was when he left West Ham to go to Chelsea and coveted by a lot more clubs as well. And the fact that it's almost been drawn, there's been a line drawn under his time at Everton because of the way that he left. He's now got the ability to go to Newcastle, make it his own, make the club his own, make himself at home at a club that are going in the right direction. And I think there's an opportunity for him to start a lot of games in Newcastle, especially off the back of having a tournament like this where well, I think we all agree he wasn't the player of the tournament, but he was given the award. Yeah. Um, and it, it kicks him on for next season. And I know he wasn't physically in the right place last season because of the time that he came to, to Newcastle. But there's no reason why at Newcastle he can't establish himself as a starter and be integral to you what they do going start? forward. Maybe not at the beginning of the season. I don't know what Newcastle are going to mm. do for the rest of the window. But I definitely think a little think bit short gonna... on that on that right-hand side in terms of depth. Yeah. 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 But yeah. at the same time, again, everything sort of meshes into each other. It's like you kind of don't want to stop his pathway. He ne- he still needs a lot more games to get where he wants to go to. Yeah. One thing that did pop into my mind, and again, look, we're always going to go in different angles with it, and I think it's worth talking about. Is there, because we're bigging up a lot of players here. We haven't spoken about Morgan Gibbs-White, who I love. Yeah, great player. So uh, fun to watch, isn't he? So fun to watch. Love his attitude. Yeah. Love his personality as well. And I, I think that is part of it as well. Like I think we've kind of, we've got past the super robotic stuff mm. because a lot of these players have grown up with their phones and, you know, knowing that they can have a little bit of a personality there. But if we zoom right out, you know, Germany winning it, Spain winning it. And I know the top countries often generally win it. Is there a bit of a false economy in terms of the weight we put on these tournaments moving forward when the money that is awash with in those top leagues, you know, if we compare to the eighties to now or the nineties to now, you're going to have such a sort of pool of players Hmm. that those top sides should be real. They will be sort of gently stretching away like the, the big teams in the league do as well from the rest of the, of the countries out there. And therefore, that step up from being a dominant side in a uh, you know youth tournament to going on and being an eighty cap player is actually not as 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 easy or as something was we should be getting excited about as it as it truly is. It depends if you're talking about whether England go on to win trophies or whether you're talking about these individual players' developments. Because mm. if it's about winning competitions and seeing England lift a World Cup or European Championship, I definitely think that this translates because it's it's incidental, these moments. When England lost against France in the World Cup, it wasn't because of a lack of quality, in my opinion. It's because of a lack of know-how. And if your captain is Harry Kane, who hasn't necessarily won in his career, it's going to translate in terms of what you do in those biggest moments. I'm not saying that's the reason why yeah, he missed yeah, the penalty, yeah, no, yeah. but winning at these levels is very, very important because it sets a, a precedent in terms of what you do in those big moments. Football is is filled with players full of quality, 
But when it gets to those top moments, it's about how you... It's about killer instinct. It's what, yeah. what Harry talked about. And these players are now developing that, that killer instinct. And, and winning at this level is definitely going to translate. And these players that are just used to winning, winning is almost a byproduct of what they do. If you're, if you're a player who's come through academies that have always won, you're playing an England team that always win, you expect to go to these tournaments with the senior team and win competitions. And I feel like that will translate. If you're talking about individual players, though... Yeah it remains to be seen football there's so many variables that happen I think that's the, the strongest thing about these tournaments is exactly what you're kind of saying there because when you get into a final it's a big obviously every game's big blah 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 when you get to those big games those finals you have to have a very calm understanding that what was 100% for you is not enough you need to go to 110% and being comfortable with that jump is is so important because you then you zone in and you you provide the output that's necessary. And that comfort with that, that you see that comes from, even again, you might it might be an idea in your mind, but to see it come to fruition, you then, when you step into that, you're, you know, your chest's out, you're ready to, to step up. You don't have that fear of failure. You want to go and win and you know what's necessary to go and win. And that is, I think, such a huge thing with this group of players because that will probably rub off on other players, but also, you know, for them themselves, like it'd be, it's going to be interesting to see, like, out of that out of that group, do I see James Garner being, a, you know, a regular starter for England? Not really, if I'm honest, right now. Or Max Ahrens, maybe not as well. But as a kind of collective that maybe you could see that whole squad in the England squad in five, six, seven years time and having those kind of mentalities together, that's as important as anything else because, you know, apart from Lionel Messi, you can't do it totally on your own these days. (laughs) And that's what really, really excites me uh, with this. Let's finish up with some uh, banging ripple effects and you can let me know if you're having them or not. Uh, By the way, guys, if you are still listening to the podcast, you're probably enjoying yourself. Do me a favor, follow the podcast on Spotify and give us a five-star rating as well. And if you're listening elsewhere, um, pop a review in. I'd love to know how you're feeling about the podcast and uh, tweet me um, at James Alcott, with your ripple effects. And we'll try and get them in uh, as the season progresses. Um, Thank you so much for everyone who's enjoying it at the moment. I am as well. I'm really enjoying these conversations and having the time to do it as well. So thank you. And thank you, Spotify. Right, here we go. Uh, So a couple of ripple effects. So did James Trafford saving that penalty in the final just earn Burnley 50 million? (laughs) Scouts, what they call Spaldoonies or whatever. So James Trafford, no goals conceded. Match winning penalty save in the final? Yes, please. Also, surely there's a ripple effect here with is... James Trafford's career, is that going to, how many opportunities is that going to provide Thogden? I don't even know who Thogden is. <laughs> I do, I yeah. do. But they're the same person, okay? Yeah. And they've done, <laughs> and Annie's at Bolton, and they've done videos together, and everyone calls him his brother. And I always think that sometimes, you know, when there's a player, you know, somebody who's got a name, and this guy becomes famous, and you go, oh, you've got that, your surname's <laughs> Schofield. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it might be, right? Let's uh, not clip that bit off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Too late. The, uh, so, do you know what I mean? Those kind of names, but less so names, like looks. Like, that could uh, that could be a difficult one for Fogden. I might have to get him on in a, like, maybe a couple of years' time and see how he deals with that. Anyway, so, yeah, no goals conceded. Match-winning penalty save in the final. Signed for Burnley just a few days before the final for a fee between 40 million and 90 million. So, was signing him early one of the smartest transfer decisions in history? Kai's written. Producer Kai, calm down. Uh, what would Burnley get for him right now if they sold him? 
Uh, it's an interesting one. You can have a little think about that whilst we're running through. Should Trafford have waited before making that move? We're playing in a team that allows a lot of shots actually make it easier for Trafford to get into the senior England team. Of course, uh, a major tournament next year, the Euros for the men's team. Does Everton's poor defence mean that Pickford's showreel is better and therefore he gets picked for England? And will the ripple of this be that Trafford steals Nick Pope's spot in the England squad for the Euros next season? Are we calling it, boys? Will James Trafford be in the England squad next season? And what should uh, what should have been the fee for him? Oof. Yeah, fine. I'll go first. <laughs> <laughs> Difficult on that. Um, maybe not. Maybe not fifty million. Um, yeah, difficult to say because I mean goalkeepers do tend to go for less, don't they? I don't know why that That's is the true. case, but that, that that does seem to be uh, true. But little company, like not backhand. I'm not saying that, but like <laughs> go and chuck. You know, can we just get it? Can we get it under nineteen? He's put the call in. I think there. Yeah, I, I think it's a great signing for them. Um, I, the one thing about Trafford is that yes, he's undoubtedly a very good shot stopper. Had a great year at Bolton. Um, he's comfortable on the ball, but I don't know whether he's technically as good as. I don't know. There was I can't remember which game it was. He almost got caught. It might have been the final. Um, there was a ping in like one of the games. I think it might have been. Uh, I can't remember. It was one of the early games. You tried to play this like three quarter ping, well. and it was terrible. Mm. But I mean, that's going to happen when you're yeah. a twenty year old goalkeeper, and you you know you, you don't have that same level of experience as somebody who's a lot more experienced who can have that little voice in the back of their head and go, actually, you know what? I should just get rid of this. Yeah. Um, Give but, me a number then. Come on. A number for what he would be sold for now. Yes, today. Uh, 25. Yeah, I was going to go 22. What are you saying? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go say about yeah. 25. Right. No, I think he's added, yeah. added a few. Yeah. few Will he be in the England squad next year? Uh, I think it might, unless he's the third goalkeeper, I think it might be a stretch just because I think Nick Pope definitely needs to have a clangor of a season. Although he does not have the best ability with his feet either. So yeah. um, put it lightly. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's interesting. The problem you've got is if, say, the third goalkeeper was Ben Foster, I love you, Ben. You know what I mean? Uh, he'd go, Do you know what? We're going to bring you in, Trafford, because you are the future. Yeah, because what's the point? But I don't yeah. think we have that because you've got Ramsdale, you've got Pickford, yeah. you've got Pope, you've got uh, Sam Johnston as well. Yeah. Okay, so it might be a little bit too soon for him. Uh, did Mudrick getting dropped down from the first team to the under-21s just save Chelsea's season next year? Mudrick played twice in the tournament but was excellent on both occasions, averaging three successful dribbles per 90, success rate of 75%, providing killer assist against France and popping up in dangerous areas centrally against Spain. So could the confidence gain from this mean that he's in a better place for next season? Very quick summary on your feelings on, on Mudrick going into his it, it was, kind of second season. It was good to see some positive PR surrounding Mudrick because he's had a tough time of things since joining Chelsea in January. Obviously, it was a well-documented move. He was out there pining for Arsenal. He ended up playing for Chelsea. It was one of the most bizarre transfer mm-hmm. sagas ever. Um, and I know that people were excited over his debut for Chelsea because he took on, what, 38-year-old James Milner? <laughs> he came on at half-time and actually ripped into pieces. But the upside for Mikhailo Mudrik is very, very high. And I know we've only seen flashes of his brilliance in select Champions League games. And obviously we saw it in, in Spitz and Spurs in this tournament as well. But if 
Pochettino can get it right with Mudrik, I think we've got a serious player on our hands who can go and achieve who knows what he could go and achieve because he's got the raw ability. Mm. He's got the raw he's got the raw pace. Um he's obviously put on a bit of weight as well. You've seen him in the gym, he's got a bit bulkier. Um and so this tournament could have been a great reset for him to play some football, to get some confidence underneath him. And he's he's probably a confidence player as well in terms yeah. of needs a few decent games under his belt to really go and show what he can do. And he's a player that takes on defenders, which is frightening. So yeah, this this under twenty one Stimfo Midrick would be a good thing ultimately for him next season. Do you know what I need? I think he needs. I think he needs a buzz cut, like a little like a little change it up. Do you know what I mean? Just change the look, start again. I think that might be good for him. I like the look. I like. I, the I look. do like it. I like. Yeah. He looks unique. He's got yeah. a very unique look. I like. Hang it. on a minute. Greg has got the Midrick hair. The Joe, I still want to ask you because we were talking about this before we started uh, the podcast, kind of in terms of the idea of analysing players. So I want to do that as well. But I, I love this um, this ripple effect. So we'll just have this last ripple effect and then I'll ask you that question. Lee Carsley, of course, you know, he's you know, played for Ireland, didn't he? So it feels a bit funny, but obviously he's he's kind of English too. So the look... <laughs> 40 caps, yeah, that's good. Uh, the last time Lee Carsley performed this well, his centre midfield partner at Everton, Thomas Grafton, got a move to Real Madrid. Therefore... Does winning the tournament mean that Gravson is inevitably going to get the Real Madrid job? <laughs> uh, so, as Lee Carsley just made himself a person linked with more seriously, every is he the new Kerbishly? Is he the new like guy that's going to be linked with every vacant job in this country? I'm not so sure because I feel like uh, with with the England coaches, the the fundamentals are great. They are they're very they, a lot of them are company men. Like they they like to remain with the FA, right. uh, and then when they do make that step out, the big clubs typically don't tend to go for them. And I don't know why that is, mm. but you know the I think Paul Simpson won the Under Twenty World Cup with England in twenty seventeen. He's at Carlisle now, I think. Um, he's done well with them, got them promoted. Um, I'm trying to think who else are the other ones. I mean, Aidy Boothroyd was in there for quite a while, wasn't he? Mm. F- yeah. Famously, he called it yeah utterly impossible, didn't he? The yeah, that he is. Yeah, um, he with the squads he had, I'm not sure, um, <laughs> but. Uh, I think with Carsley, I think he'd, he'd serve himself a lot better if he continued working with the England youth setup because he's done very, clearly he's done very, very well there. Um, but ultimately, he will always be scrutinised if he if he were to leave the England under-21 job to go to a club job. He'll always be scrutinised because people will say, oh, well, he had such a talented crop of players. If he gets if another wow. cycle of 21s, and he does very. If he gets to the semi-finals again, mm. then you know that, that there's something there to say that actually he's got some something in his coaching manual which says it's these are skills. He's a skilled coach, and they're transferable to clubs. Then I was going to say like uh, Cooper is obviously a good example in terms of someone yep. who's gone and done well. What he was able to do though was have he had the under 17s, and then he was able to utilize those players. Yeah. Yes, whereas yeah, yeah. under 21s, you're not got yeah. you can't get them in well, as like, well. Well, you, you see like Mark Gary going on loads of Swansea, Swansea like yeah. something's going on here. <laughs> exactly. he, he, you know, he's used that brilliantly, and he, yeah. Morgan Gibbs White, I guess you know, obviously went Connor Gallagher as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think the tough thing for Lee Carlson, and it shouldn't be a thing, but optics is a thing in football, and the, the juxtaposition of what people think of Lee Carlsley as the player mm. and Lee Carlsley as a, this progressive manager is quite difficult for people to digest. Mm. So I think spending a little bit more time yeah. with the under-21s and building that reputation so people are 
clearly they identify what he does as a manager in terms of his tactical philosophy will serve him well because I think at the moment it's quite jarring for people to think about Lee Carsley this tough tackling mid- midfielder as a progressive for the Republic manager. of Ireland yeah yeah, exactly. yeah yeah I think you're right I think what he needs is a uh, blonde curtain people will like you're right people will turn their nose up if he if he goes and gets that England job but in terms of an understandable you know uh, route to success he's just had it he knows that group of players mm. And that group of players probably like him as well. That's kind of what worked with Southgate, and that has always been my thing with Southgate: is you have to be you have to be realistic in terms of who who is the next guy. When people just go, we'll just bring in Pochettino or bring in whoever it might be, like just throw a check at it. Well, that didn't work for us. Yeah. So I'd rather see someone who's maybe not got the the CV or is an out and out name uh, than you know than someone just for the sake of it. Because a lot of those managers. They don't want a, They don't want an international job. It's not enough for them right now. Um, yeah, I wanted to ask you about this, Joe. So again, scouted football guys, go check them out uh, wherever you get your podcasts, but also uh, on Twitter as well. But the magazine is honestly, it's just. I, I say this, and I've pitched, I've pushed this magazine so much, <laughs> and I've got no stake in it at all. Thank you very much. No, no, no. But it's so it's gorgeous. It's just a gorgeous magazine. And uh, is it got a digital one now? Yeah, so basically we're we're transitioning to to go to something called the Scouted Notebook, which is a, a, like a Substack. Right. Um. So you can subscribe to that, and you can get like all of the all the paid digital online content. Um. From you know the, just the pool of really really talented writers. Mm. Um. Uh, on pretty much anything to do with youth football. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's it's pretty much all digital now. Um. We've kind of the back catalogue of um. Of, of scouted mags sort of in the past but they're, they're going to be a nice little reference point I think in future Lovely. and they, they already are to be honest the ones so I need to in... keep mine because they're going to cost a bit in a well way. I'm not I'm not saying that they definitely will but you know we've well, got we've got an Erling Haaland profile in there from his Salzburg days there you so, go, you know. that's it yeah. honestly it's, it's fantastic and like a lot of people what I find one of my sort of driving forces in terms of my channel is can I give you something that you can take down the pub and go do you know what and, and look good and and that is what scouted football has been for me uh, in terms of being sort of in the know because the writing is really good and they're essentially like you know just really enjoyable reads in terms of the scout reports for these players that when the time does come you kind of know that little bit more about these players. Mm. So with that in mind, so many people are quick to kind of go this guy's the next guy, that guy's the next guy. I just wanted to know what your kind of criteria was or what you've seen as the criteria in terms of judging young players because you can't be the end product. It doesn't make sense when you're, you know, when you're not there yet, you're 18, you're 19. So I just wanted to know your thoughts on that. I mean, it's it's a long process and it's you kind of have to be patient with it. I imagine like a lot of um sort of armchair scouts probably are. Um you know, you you might spot somebody at 17 and then they don't actually really break through until they're 21 because the pathway isn't there. The opportunity hasn't been there. They've had an injury, which has basically robbed them of six months or whatever. Um, and the the best way to, to keep tabs on, on those types of players is to watch them early. Get, get your notes in early, um, which is why the under-17 Euros, under-17 World Cup, one of my favourite tournaments, well, two of my favourite tournaments, because you get to see all of these young players that... You know, you've never heard of before, but you're watching it purely as a a, a lover of football, and mm. naturally, some players stand out. And That's then, nice because it, yeah. every, there's so many preconceived ideas about players, so that allows you to watch it exactly. Kind of it's a complete blank freely. canvas. Yeah, I love it. Um, and then you get to follow them up through the you know, under 19 Euros, 20 World Cup, 21 Euros, whatever. Um, and 
you know, some of the players that you develop an attachment to they, they, at international, youth international level, it doesn't translate to, to club side. Well, that's what I wanted to ask you as well. So, what, so again, in terms of those players, when you'll see them in senior men's football, because mm. even in that, the under-21s, you're kind of looking at a lot of those guys and they look a little bit slight, they haven't sort of filled out yet, and that, that makes a massive difference. You know, look at Pep Guardiola's Man City side now. Like, he's gone, he understands that physicality is important. So what, what would you sort of... Um, what would you be looking for when you are looking at those players in terms of their minutes in, in men's football? And and what would you kind of let go as well? Uh, I'd say, I mean, unless it's sort of really outlandish, I think physicality size is, is, is very important, particularly at youth level. But sometimes players can use that. They can lean on that quite a lot, especially at youth level, because you're against your peers, you're against your age mates. And if you are the strongest, fastest, tallest, yeah. it's going to be, you You aren't inherently going to stand Super out. Super quick example. I remember watching um, Carlton Cole for the under 21 scored a hat trick against, um, sorry, at Hillsborough. And I was just like, wow. Like, and, and he had, look, he had a strong career, mm. but he didn't, but it was, he was a bully. Like yeah. at that yeah. level, at that age, he was just an absolute bully. Sorry, Karen. I th- no, I think that you're absolutely right to say, you know, it's, one of the more important things, especially nowadays, is is good decisions. If you can make good decisions at under-17 level, yeah, you might have a split second less at first team or 21s level. But as, if you're capable of making those good decisions, if you're um, someone like Levi Colwell, you're always trying things. Mm. You know, and they might not always come off. But as long as you're always trying those things, you're going to get spotted by those people who have that eye. And, you know, there's lots and lots of professional scouts out there who just notice things and analysts, they, they spot things that to the naked eye you'd never, you'd never see. And then you read something, a, a report that they've written or, a, you know, like an academic study, for example, and you're like, that makes perfect sense. How have I never, <laughs> ever thought of that before? Um, but I'd, I'd say good decision making combined with that, with the physicality, particularly early on. Um, is is really really important. Can I ask one self indulgent question? Go for it, man. How good is Andre Andre Santos and Chelsea fan? How how good is he? Well, well, he's he's the perfect example of that. He makes good decisions, but he's also a bully. Right. Yeah. So like he, I got where was it? Which tournament was it? The under was it the under twenty World Cup most recently? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. 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 well, Cesare Casade there. I mean, he was kind of the the headline name. Yeah. Because he got the golden boot and the golden ball, seven goals. And he's just so good at crashing the box. But he's not going to do that in men's football because he just, it's fundamentally, that's not going to be the case because he just dominated. He ran games. With Andre Santos, he's, you know, he's someone who I'd say probably has maybe a little bit of a higher ceiling because he has a bit more to his game. You know, he's, he, he can play as the six, the eight, the 10. He's techie. He's, you know, he's got that, um, that get up and go. He's, he, all of his movements are really cleanly operated, you know, Yes, there might be some tactical understanding that needs to be honed because, you know, if you've ever watched, you know, Copa Libertadores or that sort of football, it is a lot more, it, it sways a lot more. Um, it's it's back and forth a lot more than, than the English game. But in terms of raw ability, yeah, he's, Andre Santos has, has got, he's got the, the, the technical fundamentals to, and, and the physical fundamentals to, to really be a, a big player. And that's why you see someone going for, I don't know, what was it, 11, 12 million? Yeah. With basically no, you know, well, I mean, absolutely no European experience. It's it's a gamble, but I mean, when you've got the capital that Chelsea have, it's not not too much of a gamble. Yeah, I'd love to hear. Okay, and uh, final one. Give just so people can go and have a look at some players as well. Can you give us three names of players that you think are going to be on the horizon and uh, you know in our minds and uh, on the telly in a big way in the next yeah, eighteen oof. months? Uh, right, Rasmus Hoyland. 
at, yeah. at, at Atalanta. I think he's he's sort of the next big number nine. He's a he's a pure nine. Because we were saying, so before we start recording, we, you, I asked you this question, and yeah, you said him, and I was like, oh, because I th- I think there's I, mean, I think he's a great player, but it, it feels like there's the fear is that it's a bit too early for him to kind of yeah. make those moves to Man United. But you rate him? Oh no, I absolutely rate him. I think he's I mean he's done it on international level already, hasn't he, for Denmark? So um, I think yeah. Going to a club like Man United would be enormous. It'd be a huge ask right now, um, and obviously the, what we've talked about previously—the scrutiny and the expectation, especially with the fee that would come attached—would mm. um, be would be suffocating. So I think you know a few more seasons or a year and a half, maybe it's at, at, at Atalanta would be would be great for him. Um, I think as well, Warren Zaire Emery at PSG. He's been. I, mean, I think it, so like at scouted, we've got like lots and lots of. Um, really talented writers and then did I, I ask you I asked you about him I think you did because yeah, yeah. we were talking about Bellingham and we were trying to predict the next 15 years of his career yeah. and we were saying who's going to be his you know who's he going to be up against and it was him wasn't it I think uh, yeah I mean uh, he, he played UEFA Youth League football I think at the time he was still playing Youth League uh, for PSG but he was just absolutely running the show similar to what Miles Lewis Skelly does for Arsenal's on 18s now um, but Warren Zaire Emery is is probably one of the best players that c- consensus wise at scouted that we've seen at like at sixteen seventeen, wow. um, and then kind of staying with the French themes player I came across recently, uh, Skelly Alvero I think he's just signed for Lyon. Okay. Um, again, it, this is my wild card pick. The, I love it. I the, love the it. other two are absolute like they are dead certs, but Skelly Alvero I think he's like six foot eight. He plays in central midfield. Um, and just he's so like honestly watch any clip of him just his feet just move so quickly for really? it's the epitome of great touch for a big guy hey. but he's he's got that wiry frame he's he's really good and yeah, I think he played 30 odd games in, in Ligue 2 last season in France's second division nice. so I love, Leon, yeah, I love, I love it, that love one Leon it. snapped him up um, so, interesting yeah we'll, we'll see what he does this year but I mean this I could go on all day okay yeah. well you heard it here first on the ripple effect, but from <laughs> at Scouted Football, Joe, absolute joy, mate. We'll have to get you on again, mate. Hey, so fascinating to, to hear your voice. You've got a lovely voice as well, isn't it? It's yeah, soothing. It uh, Kweku, <laughs> thank you, mate. Once again, absolutely love chatting football with you, and hopefully, we're going to be doing it loads and loads more. So, I'm co-signing this boy. This guy's amazing. <laughs> so I'm going to get keep him close. Uh, you guys keep close as well. Make sure you follow The Ripple Effect. Uh, get involved. Share it to your friends. The bigger this podcast gets, the better the guests we can get. I know it's a high bar, but we're going to keep trying to rotate it all the time. So get involved. Share it. And uh, let us know your thoughts on, uh, on it. And, of course, send me your Ripple Effects as well. Thank you so much for listening. Check out the other pods as well. And I'll see you next time. 